did I ever tell you about the textbook that I had in my ma- one of my master's courses that it literally outlined how to not only make cocaine, but how to transport it through several countries successfully? Would I be able to have a copy of that textbook? Welcome to our long list of loyal listeners. I know you see what I did there. And to our new recruits, I guess I welcome you too. This is I Made Her Watch, the podcast where two best friends make each other watch things that they might not otherwise. I am your geographically illiterate host, Vanessa. And I am your host, Stephanie. If you do want to find out why Vanessa considers herself geographically illiterate, please go back to episode four, The Vampire Diaries, and find out and give us those listens they're not views they're listens they are listens and that's the technical term for it i'm gonna stick to that and this week on the podcast i made a stephanie watch the critically acclaimed and i don't mean that in a sarcastic way this time the critically acclaimed british crime series broadchurch before we get to the meat and potatoes of the show i just want to say that i think stephanie i had this brilliant idea that I came up with very arbitrarily, that we should introduce ourselves with some sort of descriptive blurb during every episode to give the listeners another extra sense of who we are as people. So I think previous episodes have already established that I'm geographically illiterate, but for our new listeners, this might be their first introduction to it. Maybe at the beginning of every episode we do this, and by the end of it, they'll realize what terrible human beings we are. And we'll just push all of our listeners away, except for those who are being forced to listen. Or we can just see what you come up with every single week. I could do this. Yes. Okay. That will be your challenge. Okay. Because she did not pre-warn me about this idea. No. At all. No. I have many flaws. (laughs) So number one, it won't be hard to come up with something every week. And number two, yeah, yeah, it's fair that I didn't warn you. But back to the show. (laughs) So it's set in a fictional town called Broadchurch in Dorset, England. It's a show that lasted for three seasons, and I always kind of forget that. I always think of it as just being one season, but I have watched all three. My personal opinion is that the first season is the best. It ran from 2013 to 2017, and it was created by Chris Chibnall. I don't know if I pronounced his name correctly. I'm sorry, Chris, but I think you were a great writer. So season one focuses on the death of an 11-year-old local in the town named Danny Latimer and the impact of the grief and the mutual suspicion and media attention uh, within the town following his death. And it kind of focuses specifically on the two detectives who are assigned to the case and are trying to figure out who the killer is. There's a lot of storylines that are going around at the same time. I think it's quite well written in the fact that they really do try to flesh out a lot of the characters that appear in that season, but it also is a bit of like a whodunit. You know, you're wondering at the end of every episode, who's the killer? And in my view, they did a great job of that final twist at the end and the final reveal. What did you think of it though? I'm really curious. I... Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I was not the biggest fan. Really? Yeah, and I find this really strange because I am a big fan of actually British crime dramas. It's I much prefer British crime dramas over 
any American crime drama. It is a slightly different formatting than what I'm used to because a lot of the British crime dramas that I'm watching are usually sometimes like an hour and a half episode and each episode just covers one case. Okay. And so that is more of the formatting that I'm used to. I think I would be okay just kind of maybe watching it passively. But the problem is that it's not a kind of show that you can watch passively. You have to pay attention. Yeah. But I was losing interest and I didn't care for very many of the characters. I wasn't invested enough with them to kind of want to stay behind and figure out what happened. It's Mm. one of the shows that, and this is what I do sometimes when I've like, let's say already invested like a certain amount of time in a show. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll go to the very end and I just watch the last episode just to find out what happens. And I'm like, okay, and it's done. I would highly recommend not doing that with this show. No, if you're convinced that you're not going to watch any more of it, then I suppose I could spoil it for you. Uh, in this episode but to be honest like it is a slower starting show but a lot of stuff picks up by the center and like I will admit watching it the second time the first three episodes really don't even crack the surface of what happens with all of the characters later on and I have a feeling that you would become more emotionally invested in the characters if you watched a few more episodes I would think probably get hooked by episode number five but to me how this show ends was probably out of all of the crime series that I've watched where it leaves you guessing till the end this was probably the one that was done the best I think the issue with me it's like if this the first season I saw was eight episodes if I'm already essentially at the halfway point and I don't care for the characters yeah then I don't want to dedicate any more time to it So that's that's where I'm at. I don't know whether I'm going to go forward and continue watching at this point. So to be fair, then, I I guess I won't spoil it for you. Yeah, I I don't want it to be spoiled because I'm still not sure. Okay, I'll keep it a secret. When they were actually filming the show, they really kept it on a tight lock. So the creator, Chris Chibnall, was insistent that the identity of the killer remained secret until the final episodes had aired. Uh, so like obviously he wanted to maintain public interest right so all of the cast and crew basically signed the equivalent of a non-disclosure agreement basically saying that they wouldn't reveal anything right but also the last three scripts for episodes six seven and eight were all released at the same time on the weekend and they were all kind of filmed together in a block and even then only 29 people of the entire cast knew who the killer was when those final scenes were filmed. And that's impressive because we're counting not just actors in it, but like all of the other people who go into a show, you know, the people who do the lighting and everything else, right? Only 29 people on that set knew who the killer was going to be. The show itself won a lot of critical acclaim. So it won several BAFTAs, the British equivalent of, I guess you would say like our Emmys or whatever. It was nominated for seven in the first season. Olivia Coleman, who plays Ellie Miller on the show, won for best actress. David Bradley, who I'm trying to remember now. Who was David Bradley? Oh, he plays Jack Marshall. He's the guy who owns that little newspaper, The Older Man. 
He owns the convenience store, but he also yeah. kind of runs the newspaper. I know him. He's Argus Filch. He's in Harry Potter. I wrote that down. So we'll yeah. get to that. He won for Best Supporting Actor. And if you look at that and are confused as to why, this is what I mean about there's a lot of character development that continues to go on later in the series. Because at this point, you're probably like, what significant role did he even play in that season? Well, I guess we'll kind of get to that point, but there was a specific point that I knew he was going to be important. Yeah. And literally in the first episode. And they do kind of, if you look at that first episode, uh, stuff is starting to unfold. They do show you who all the key people in the series are going to be, right? And then the show also won for best drama series. It's rated as like a 90 something percent on Rotten Tomatoes and is actually adopted by Fox in 2014 into an American drama series with a slightly different ending than the British one. I have no idea why they made it into an American show because this British series also, like, it's in English. <laughs> I don't I don't see what the need was to convert it. <laughs> well, they did that to The Office. They did that to Skins. Yeah. I, I, I think there's a bit of a trend there. I know, but, like, this one, to me, was perfect the way it was. And I quite like the way a lot of British TV series are made. I've watched a lot of them. Like watching this one, I realized I recognize a lot of the actors and actresses on it because I've watched quite a few British TV series. So to me, I don't think they needed to remake it as an American version, but it was called Grace Point. It also starred David Tennant, who plays Alec Hardy in Broadchurch. Created Doctor Who. Yeah, created and written by the same guy, but it only survived for one season. The ratings weren't very good for Grace Point. So if we go to some of the main actors and actresses in the show, we've got David Tennant, plays D.I. Alec Hardy. Scottish is his main character feature. (laughs) That's what's written down on the script. Scottish. Scottish. (laughs) That's it. That's it. That's all you need to know. (laughs) Frankly, that's all I needed to know. Um, I quite like David Tennant and I love that like grumpy, broody sort of character. A grumpy old detective. I love grumpy old detectives. They make the best shows. He's so great. He reminds me of Hugh Laurie in House in a way. Mm -hmm. And I love that sort of character. So uh, sign me up. But he's best known as playing the 10th incarnation of the Doctor on the BBC sci-fi series, hugely popular Doctor Who. He's also in a few like American TV shows. So he's in Marvel's Jessica Jones. Oh my God! That's, yeah, That's him. him. Okay, can I just say, it's only because you're saying this right now. So yeah. sorry, so whoever I'm sorry, whoever is listening to us through earphones probably just shouted in here. <laughs> I'll see if I can lower that a bit in a post. But he was fantastic yeah. in Jessica Jones. He was one of the most complex yeah. villains I have ever seen. And I would highly recommend you watching just season one of Jessica Jones because mm-hmm. the other two seasons I'm not so much a fan of yeah but he is just so fantastic in it like it's the type of villain that you really only have like a handful of in media oh I don't want to ruin anything okay I'm gonna stop there I'll watch it if you watch the rest of Broadchurch (laughs) okay (laughs) we'll see we'll see we'll see (laughs) so then we have Olivia Coleman, who I love, who I think is a national treasure for 
the UK, frankly. Um, I wish she was Canadian. <laughs> I just, I love her so much. She's I think part she's of an, the Commonwealth. We can, she is a Commonwealth we, treasure. And as Canadians, we, we can claim her. Exactly. <laughs> I actually think that in real life, she's maybe a little bit as she is on this show. She's very like mm. good hearted, very genuine. I think she's the best. She plays Detective Sergeant Ellie Miller on the show. Her actual name in real life is Sarah Caroline Sinclair. But you know how a lot of actors have to end up changing their name. So she goes by Olivia Coleman. She's very accomplished. She won an Oscar for the movie The Favorite. She plays the queen on The Crown. I can't remember what season it would be. I guess season three. That is her. Yeah. Yeah, that's her. Oh, she's, she's got great range. <laughs> great range as an actress. And she was also in the movie The Father, which I think was made in 2020. It's with Anthony Hopkins. And Anthony Hopkins just won an Oscar for his role in that movie. So I feel like Olivia Coleman is the type of person who, whatever she touches, turns to gold. Especially recently, she's got really great taste in the projects that she chooses. Or maybe everybody just recognizes that she's a great gift to acting. She's also on the show Fleabag, which is a great British comedy. Yeah, I've heard Fleabag is fantastic as well. And it's yeah. been on my to-watch list. Then we have Jodie Whittaker, who plays Beth Latimer on the show. She's, Question. Yeah. That's the mom, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, because I have no idea what happened, but I seem to have figured out everyone's name except for hers in the full three episodes. So throughout my notes, all I refer to her as is mom, like for all three episodes. I it never have... fails, though. There's always a character that like you can't figure out the name of. <laughs> Not just you. This happens to me, too. Well, at least it's better than the Goodwill Hunting episode. All I did was call the characters by their Ben Affleck. <laughs> By, the, by their actual name, not by their character names, but their actor names or just whatever names I decided to give them. Usually their profession. Psychiatrist so, talks to math genius. Uh, no, it's like the professor. Oh, yeah. That's the professor. Right. I believe that was the that one. That was a big one. I can't remember what his name is now. Yeah. Um, but that is episode five. If anyone wants to go and check that out. Helpful plug right there. <laughs> So Jodie Whittaker shares with David Tennant a starring role on Doctor Who. She plays the 13th incarnation of the Doctor, so two after David Tennant's. Is and she the first? I think she was the first female the first Doctor, female. right? Yep. Mm-hmm. I've never watched Doctor Who, by the way, but um, I. I always hear about it. Yeah, it's quite popular. I don't think it's really my type of show, but... It's got a big following. Don't make me watch it. Um, <laughs> I'm not too into the whole alien. Um, I think I the doctor is an alien. Some, some oh. I don't uh, really understand. Well, and he it comes back to life in multiple different forms. So, I mean, I, who I knows what you call that? <laughs> okay, if anyone can please just give me a good sum. I know I have Wikipedia, but I know I'm just like not going to do it myself. Yeah. But if anyone can sh- send me like short three sentences that describes whatever the hell Doctor Who is about, like mm-hmm. I, I, I'd appreciate that. And we are serious. It's got to be three sentences or less. So you can do that at I Made Her Watch Pod. That's our Instagram account. And our Twitter account is at I Made Her Watch. Amazing. <laughs> I'm getting good at this. We you really are. should have been doing this several episodes From ago. From the beginning. <laughs> 
So then we have, we'll just call him father. Mark Latimer is played by Andrew Buchan. And I recognize him too in quite a few things. So he was in the movie All the Money in the World, which is a pretty good movie. He was in the 2006 adaptation of Jane Eyre. And he was also in The Crown. He plays Andrew Parker Bowles, so Camilla's brother. Uh, You'll recognize him vaguely maybe from there. He's got a very distinctive face, I would say. Kind of a punchable face to me. But maybe it's just his characters in these shows and movies. But I do like him as an actor. We have Arthur Darville, who plays Reverend Paul Coates. He was also in Doctor Who. He doesn't play like a very big starring role, but he is in that. And he plays Rip Hunter in Legends of Tomorrow. I don't recognize that, but I do. do. Yeah, I do. I never continued on past the first season of Legends of Tomorrow. But yes, I remember him. So we have Caroline Pickles, who plays Maggie Radcliffe, the newspaper, Broadchurch Echo. I don't know what you call her. She's like the owner of it. I don't even know. The editor? I th- is she editor, the editor? Maybe? Yeah, I yeah. guess. I yeah, guess I, that's the highest person, person right, in the role. newspaper. Yeah. Look at us. We're just we're breezing on through this. <laughs> Charlotte Beaumont plays Chloe Latimer. Jonathan Bailey, which I didn't realize I knew him. Plays Ollie Stevens. He's Anthony Bridgerton. I never would have put that together. Uh, me neither, but that's that's true. He's just so young and scrawny in this show, but that makes me so happy. And he's supposed to be the, like the star of the season two of Bridgerton. Yeah. And you know what's funny that he's in Bridgerton because... It took us quite a while to get to actually recording this episode. I had never heard of Broadchurch, and I kept on thinking Bridgerton, but I knew it wasn't that because I knew we had both already watched that. So I just kept on confusing them in my head. And in the process of doing that, because I made sure to not look up anything about the show before watching it, like I didn't even read the synopsis on Netflix. Mm-hmm. regarding the show. So I had no idea going in what it was. I thought this was going to be some sort of historical trauma. Oh, no. But along the lines of like, not Bridgerton necessarily, but yeah. um, more like a Downton Abbey sort of thing. Gotcha. You must have been surprised when it started. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I kind of screwed up. I tried very hard not to read anything, but as I was about to press play, I saw British crime drama. Oh, okay, okay. And the thing I'm like, shoot. So right before I started, I you knew. it, w- it would have been funny. It would have been right. You were expecting because of the way it starts, it kind of dives right in. So <laughs> it would have been interesting if you hadn't read, uh, hadn't seen anything on it. We have Matthew Gravel who plays Joe Miller, Adam Wilson who plays Tom Miller, the son, Oscar McNamara who plays Danny Latimer, although. You don't see him for very much in the show because he dies <laughs> right at the beginning. You don't say. Mm-hmm. We've got David Bradley, who we talked about before, plays Jack Marshall, and he was in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. And he also has a very distinctive face. When I look at him, I'm like, I know I've seen him in several roles. I just can't remember what. He's also apparently in Captain America, the first Avenger, as the Tower Keeper. But I've never watched that movie, so I don't... I can't recall. I have watched that movie. I think it's like a minor movies, but yeah, <laughs> I think it's a minor role. And finally, Pauline Quirk, who plays Susan Wright, she's the one who has the dog and the keys to that hut that becomes mm-hmm. a very important scene in the show. So that's all the cast. Now let's get into the actual meat and potatoes. Ooh, really love Scottish that saying, don't you? I do I love it? The Scottish like to call potatoes tatties. <laughs> so let's get into the meat and tatties of it. 
It kind of makes me think of tater tots, which are potatoes. It's fitting. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So we open in a very eerie, dark... I mean, you already know it's going to be a crime drama, right? (laughs) Yes, we've established this. It's not going to be a Downton Abbey based on that opening. And you see a little boy, who we find out is Danny Latimer, who's on the edge of a cliff. Blood is dripping from his hand, and it's a pretty tall cliff. And overlooks a beach, which is, I guess, Dorset Beach. I don't know if that's what it's called. We're just going to go with that. And you see also there's flashes to his family home. His parents were asleep in their bed. You've got his bedroom door. They like look inside the bedroom. Typical young kid, right? Quite tragic what happens. So we see the next morning, everybody's waking up, getting ready for work. The clocks apparently stopped in the house overnight, or at least some of them did. And I can't remember if something comes up about that later on, or if that's just like a freak coincidence. But the mom notices that Danny's lunch is sitting on the kitchen counter. And she asks her husband if he saw him in the morning, because Danny does a paper route. And Mark, the husband says, no, Danny would have left before he got up so he never saw him in the morning this is a part where i was very happy i always just have subtitles on because it took a while to get used to everyone's accent yes i had to kind of actively read what they were saying before i kind of got acclimated to hearing everyone's accent which i i feel that does happen a bit when you're watching like a british show yeah it takes it takes a moment a slightly different British accent too. And then you throw in Alicardi, your David Tennant, who's got like a strong Scottish accent. That's the one to me that's quite the adjustment in the way that he talks, right? I like the way they filmed this scene actually, where Mark's walking down the street and it gives you a good sense of what the town is like. Really small town community, right? He's passing by on his way to work and he knows everybody who's there. So he sees Joe and Ellie and their son, Tom, as he's walking down. And it's Ellie saying it's her first day returning back to work. She had a baby recently, so she was off, I think, on mat leave as well. And they were on vacation. So you get a sense that everybody kind of knows everybody else. So Ellie gets into the police station. She works as an officer, we see. And you can already get a sense that she's a very caring person because she came back from vacation and she's got gifts for all of her colleagues. Well, can I just say, because in between those two scenes, we have a kind of important scene or a scene that ends up being quite important later on, which was you were talking about how Mark, the father, was walking down the street and like talking to everyone. And he ends up getting into a van, which appears to be his like work van. He's a plumber. And he's talking to his, I don't know if they're just coworkers or it's his employee. I'm pretty sure it's his employee. Yeah. They're talking about picking up some of the tourist girls because the tourist season is about to start in town. And this coworker's name is Nigel, I believe. Mm -hmm. Nigel, yeah. He goes by Nigel. And he goes to uh, Mark. So what was that upshot last night then? And I had to look up what upshot meant, and it means the final result or like an outcome. Mm-hmm. And um, immediately you're suspicious because we already saw that scene beforehand in the very beginning where you know something's happened to Danny. Something yeah. happened the night before. Yeah, exactly. And so you're one- wondering what's the connection there, right? Yeah, that's a good point. That's the first sort of suspicious thing. I will say 
that there's something at the very, very beginning of this show, and I won't bring it up right now because I don't want to spoil anything, but there was something that I saw in the very beginning that I was like, oh, I never noticed that the first time around. (laughs) That's definitely kind of like a red flag right there and a little bit of foreshadowing of what's to come as well. I won't tell you what it is unless you watch the remaining episodes of this season because I don't want to spoil anything. So Ellie gets into work. It's her first day back. And because she returned from vacation, she's got gifts for everyone. And you could tell that she's a really caring person. And she was also expecting that the position of detective inspector was going to be hers. And she finds out from her boss that it's not, that in fact, they brought in somebody from out of town, Alicardi, who we understand was in charge of the Sandbrook murders. We don't know any of the details about that case yet, but from the sounds of it, something went pretty wrong in the investigation of those murders. But that's not the impression that I got the first time that it's mentioned. Later that episode, I got the feel that something had gone wrong. And that's what I did find a bit odd about that first interaction. Ellie's fighting the fact that they gave this position to this other person that was not her. And then the moment that they mentioned this guy that was part of the Sandbrook investigation, she almost accepts it and just completely stops fighting it. At first, I thought that the reason why she kind of just accepted it was because she thought that there is no way that I can be the sort of guy out because he probably did such a good job. Oh, I mean, is that? Okay. That's, that's the sort of impression that I got because I would have expected more if he had fudge something up that she would have fought even harder okay i'm very confused as to why that interaction went that way okay i think maybe for me it was a little bit different because i've watched this before Mm -hmm. so my perception was colored by what i already knew about that investigation and everything that comes out afterwards but that's a fair point i do feel like it was a pretty brief discussion that she had with her boss about it And whether or not she like fights more with the boss, she does go into the washroom after and she's talking, I think it's with her husband on the phone and she's kind of like bitching about the situation. And then somebody walks in and she's like, I'm in the bathroom. (laughs) She gets upset. I love that scene. I feel like it's one of those moments that you're like, it's a teenage girl breaking down in the washroom of her high school after she finds out that the guy that they liked asked some other girl to prom. That's what it felt like. And she just wants like a moment of privacy (laughs) to like grieve. (laughs) Moment of privacy in this very public washroom. Yeah, exactly. That's not too much to ask. (laughs) So after that, we see Beth. She's at some kids event. There's like a hacky sack race and who knows what else. And she learns that Danny's not there from one of the teachers says, oh, Danny wasn't in today. And now she's starting to panic, right? And I think they do this quite well. The shots of her, especially afterwards, she gets back on the road and she's stopped in traffic. There's like a long lineup of cars and nobody's moving. And then she hears from the driver in another car that the police are at the beach and they've heard a body was discovered on the beach. Like, I felt it in my stomach. I remember the first time I watched it. You already know, but like, you kind of feel her emotion in that scene where she just has that gut instinct that it's Danny. Yeah, I knew that she was going to realize that something was wrong with Danny when she was there at that soccer field. I think there was a soccer game going on. Yeah. Because of the music. I'm like, it's such a bright and cheery scene visually. (laughs) Visually. But the music was telling us another story. Yes, it was. The power of good 
TV making. (laughs) So Hardy's at the scene on the beach and you can tell he's having a lot of anxiety about what he knows he's about to see, right? There's a body there and he kind of like whispers to himself, oh God, don't do this to me. And it's clear that there's a kid who's dead on the beach and then you have Ellie approaching and she's panicking because she knows who that kid is so that's Tom's friend right and she knows the family and Hardy asks her if and Tom is her son her son, son. Yeah. yeah sorry Tom is her son and the two families are like fairly close and their boys I think are the same age and Hardy asks Ellie if that's a suicide spot because there's the big cliffs up above and the first thought of the inspectors is that the boy fell off the cliff whether purposely or unintentionally and died on the beach right and Ellie immediately shoots him down but there's also a little bit of an argument between the two of them because this is their first introduction to each other right so this is the person who took the job that Ellie believes was supposed to be for her and now they're arguing on the beach about this and the case that they're going to have to investigate is a case that's very close to her personally so it's all levels of complicated here (laughs) Yeah, and I feel like this scene really showed why Ellie would have not been the right person to be a DI for this situation. But Alec, there's a point that he says that she has to stop seeing this case as like part of the community or as like an insider Mm -hmm. and has to start looking at it as an outsider. And you can really just see how her connection with all these people that are involved in this case really is clouding her judgment as a detective or as an investigator. Yeah. I'm very unsure of what the difference is between what she does and what he does. I'm not sure about the hierarchy within like the British. Yeah, I don't I don't know what those different terms mean in terms of actual work, but he's above her. But I don't know what the difference is in like what they're assigned to do. And I believe this is the town's only murder like ever. Yeah, they go over that at a certain point, right? So this is a very quiet town. Everybody knows each other and it's understandable why it causes such concern amongst the residents, right? And also within the newspaper, the main newspaper in that town that's reporting on it because this is like unheard of for them. So everybody wants to know, like, are our kids okay? Is there some sort of serial killer that's on the loose? What's going on? So you see Beth run down to the beach at this point. So she ran all the way from where her car was parked and she kind of breaks down at the beach because she realizes even though the body's covered, she can see the shoes on the boy and she recognizes them as Danny's running shoes. This is the point that I was telling you beforehand that I already knew that Jack, who I gave him a completely different name in my notes for about 1.5 episodes. As one does. While she's running, there's a shot of him. You can see him. He's one of the people that walks out. And I saw him and I immediately knew he was going to be someone important because you don't put an actor like that just for a random shot. And there's also this thing in my head. A Mm -hmm. lot of killers like to go back near where they committed a crime. Since I was already in murder mode, my head immediately went to that sort of possibility even though that might be too easy that's the thing with these whodunit shows you know they give you like these little Little, tidbits little snippets and you think i know who who did it this is probably who it was and then they go and they just take that all away from you yeah you got to go through like 10 suspects before you land on the actual one 
Yeah, they do flash to a couple of faces. I think Susan's as well is shown in that shot as everything is happening on the beach. So you get a sense of at least a couple of people who are going to become more major players in the rest of the show in that scene there. But obviously this is quite a big story because it's the first in the town and the Broadchurch Echo, which is the only newspaper, I guess, in the town. <laughs> and we have Ollie, who's the young hotshot there, who wants to get into a bigger newspaper company and kind of, you know, make it big. He's sent down to check out what's happening on the beach. They don't really have many details. Did you see what newspaper he was applying for? Because in that scene in the newspaper office, he was applying to all these bigger newspapers. Yeah. And the one that he applied to and got rejected from was the Daily Mail. Do you know about the Daily Mail? Yeah, the Daily Mail is a load of garbage. <laughs> yeah. And I remembered that it was a load of garbage, but sometimes all these newspapers have very similar names. I'm like, I don't want to say this if this is not the mm. correct newspaper that I'm thinking of. So then I Googled it and there's a section in Google that says people also ask and they have a list of all these questions. And one of them is, what is the Daily Mail famous for? So I clicked on that. And it says, the Daily Mail has been noted for its unreliability and widely criticized for its printing of sensationalist and inaccurate scare stories of science and medical research, and for instances of plagiarism and copyright infringement. So after reading this, and after seeing that our dear Ollie <laughs> decided mm -hmm. to uh, apply to them, I already had a bit of a bad feeling about his <laughs> journalistic ethics. Yeah. And we can see through the course of this show, definitely questionable. <laughs> Ollie is very eager in the hopes of getting a better position. He's willing to do whatever it takes. <laughs> and often at the expense of certain ethics. <laughs> he does go down to the beach and tries to get Ellie's comments on it. So he's her nephew. Mm -hmm. Ollie is Ellie's nephew. And it's clear that Ellie's not having any of this shit. It's already been a tough day for her in a number of ways. And she's not giving any comment on what's happening. But Ollie's going to get information regardless. <laughs> Forensics also has told the investigators that they don't believe that Danny actually fell off the cliffs. So they think that it's been staged to look like an accident, but that was not where he died. What makes me wonder... They said that the rocks or something were positioned near Danny's body. Was mm -hmm. it to make it look like he had fallen with some rocks? Some rocks? Yeah. yeah. And all I'm thinking about is just like someone just grabbing all these random rocks and lugging them. What? How can I make this look natural? <laughs> like I know. <laughs> It's just like pick it up and just toss it or right? something. I mean, put one rock here yeah. and one three centimeters away. That looks natural. And they just like tap it a bit with your foot. So it doesn't look like it's been placed strategically. Exactly. You know, it just kind of rolled there. <laughs> I don't know why people ever think that staging like that is going to work. It never yeah. does. Maybe like they threw things off of the cliff. Yeah. How do we cover up a murder? That's exactly what we're discussing actually, right now. The rest of this episode will be dedicated to how to cover up a murder. <laughs> Which was actually, I feel, all we did in one of our courses in university. Mm -hmm. We learned a lot about that. I remember a specific discussion on how we could cover up the theft of very expensive cars. Yeah, yeah. And then I think we learned to like 
I don't know if this is still the case, but it's a good idea to rob people when they're having a funeral because generally speaking, all of the occupants of that house are not in the house and also the neighbors likely aren't in their houses. So it's a quiet street and makes for prime home robbery. I always think about that when somebody dies. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about the textbook that I had in my one of my master's courses that it literally outlined how to not only make cocaine, but how to transport it through several countries successfully? Would I be able to have a copy of that textbook? You may have a look at it, yes. Okay. May I take notes on it? Maybe yes. take some screenshots of the pages. <laughs> Just, you know, simply for, for informational purposes. You're thinking of uh, getting another degree there, Vanessa? Yes, not a formal one. <laughs> I am thinking about broadening my specializations, we'll say. <laughs> I'll have to make some additional contacts. If anybody knows anybody, <laughs> please, this is a good time for the plug, Stephanie. <laughs> You can contact us on Twitter at I Made Her Watch and on Instagram at I Made Her Watch Pod. Maybe is that like the plug a, you were looking for? Yeah, maybe send like a private message because, you know, this is more. We should really look for a lawyer for you right now. Confidential information. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to get on that next for a number of reasons. <laughs> right after this short commercial break. This is where you would plug in a commercial for legal service. So anyways, <laughs> we get to see the difference again in working styles between Alicardi and Ellie Miller when they have to go tell the family what happened, right? And Beth kind of already knows, but they sit the family down in the living room and they tell them. Hardy is all kind of no nonsense about it. And Ellie is much more emotional. She actually cries during that scene when they're telling them that they suspect it's Stanley's body. Mark is the one who, and I, I think this is a rather emotional scene too, he's insistent on seeing the body because he's still carrying this small hope that it might not be Danny. So they take him to see the body, but he does see Danny. He does confirm that it's his son and that's kind of where he really breaks down and he apologizes to Danny in that scene. I don't know about you, but I think that was a moment where you're trying to think, is this just an apology because, you know, he wasn't with his son in the final moments or is there something more to it? Yeah, I was having the same thought process while watching it. It was a heartbreaking scene, but at the same time, because of what the show is, you mm -hmm. can't help but be suspicious yeah. Of Mark in that scene because he is apologizing. Yeah, exactly. So the backstory for the two of them, for Mark and Beth and their daughter, Chloe, Beth and Chloe apparently were in the house all evening. Mark said he had an emergency plumbing situation. And that's kind of where you think too. Okay. <laughs> yes, an emergency plumbing situation <laughs> that caused me to not get home until three o'clock in the morning. And I mm -hmm. immediately knew what this meant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In a way, there was a plumbing problem, right? Oh, Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that in there. Uh, you keep that. You keep that commentary. <laughs> there was a plumbing problem, just not of like, you know, different kind of pipes that needed to be cleared. <laughs> or plugged, depending on which way you're looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> Moving on. We find out because Hardy's talking to, I don't know what her, Chief Superintendent I Jenkinson. Chief. Mm, chief. 
You get a little bit more backstory on the Sandberg case, right? She wants Hardy to kind of lie low because of the poor handling of the Sandberg murders, although Hardy insists he was exonerated for that. So we're just still kind of wondering what's going on. What was the backstory with that? She's suggesting that he not be in charge of this murder here in Broadchurch because of what happened previously. And he's insistent. He's going to keep on with the job. So Ellie confronts him about it afterwards as well. And she's like, I saw you eating ice cream and talking to the chief. And he's like, no, no, it didn't happen. (laughs) No, nothing to see here. I love how he deals with situations. He's very like matter of fact, very few words (laughs) possible. And she also says to him, because he keeps calling her Mila. And she's like, can you just call me Ellie? I prefer to be called Ellie. No, (laughs) just refuses someone's name preferences like <laughs> sure <laughs> he's a last name only type of person he's very objective about absolutely everything that does say something about his personality though he obviously doesn't want to interact with anyone he doesn't want to get close to anyone yep. and being on a first name basis with someone is a sign personal that- yeah, exa- exactly. Especially in a place like a police department where just people go by their last names. Yeah. It's he always like want- your rank and your last name. He doesn't want that level of familiarity with her. He just kind of wants to nip it at the bud. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that's not going to last considering you just told me there's three seasons. So Yeah, they get a little bit closer. But, you know, if you're interested in why he is the way he is, you'll have to keep watching the rest of the season. I will have to say, though, I was way more interested in what the hell happened with the Sandbrook murder than I was on the case that was currently happening. Okay, So I was looking forward to finding out what the Sandbrook, what happened in that case. Both of them are fascinating. The Sandbrook murders and what happens on this case is also very, very interesting. And I highly encourage you. So Hardy and Ellie actually go to speak to Jack, who we have established. There's got to be something up with this guy. He runs the paper route and Danny worked the paper route. Which already was bad news. Yeah. Like, I feel there's something about a kid running a paper route in the movies or TV shows that there's going to be a crime. Yeah, they're going (laughs) to usually find like a dead body. Yeah. Or they are the dead body. Stay away from paper routes, kids. It's just not a good profession. It leads to surprisingly a lot of deaths. (laughs) Who knew such an innocent job? (laughs) High mortality rate in the paper route. Somebody should do a criminology study on this. (laughs) Oh, no, don't give me work. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, I take that back. Um, But Hardy asked him an interesting question. It's a question that's going to come up a couple of times. He asked Jack if he's married. I mean, that question is pretty telling, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of know where that's going. Yes, because already they're looking at Jack because he is an older single man that has a lot of interaction with younger boys. He's not just in charge of this paper route, but also he does something called the Sea Brigade, Yeah, which I believe is kind of like a Boy Scouts things on the water. On, on the water, yeah, with boats. Yeah, and the fact that I'm saying Boy Scouts should already be telling. Yeah, Where I, I don't connotations. <laughs> I have no idea whether this is going to be a red herring or not, just because I felt like it was really blatant. Mm-hmm. So yep. I actually don't think that it's him because it feels too obvious, right? 
but I don't know. You're the only one that really knows, though. You could know if you continue to watch. (laughs) I'll consider it. So we get a little bit more information about the cause of death as well. The pathologist says that it was strangulation, and the bruising to him suggests that it was large hands, likely a male. He said it would have been a pretty brutal death just because of the angle suggesting that Danny was facing his attacker when it happened, which understandably would have been quite scary. The time of death is approximated to be between 10 p.m. and 4 a.m. in the morning, which conveniently does coincide with the time that Mark was not at his house. (laughs) Doing plumbing. 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 Fixing the pipes. He was repairing someone's tubing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was either filling the tubing clearing his own personal tubing i don't even know what what sort of analogy we're trying to make right now but it makes sense to us and really that's all that matters if you also find that this analogy makes sense please let us know (laughs) important to note the pathologist also says there's no evidence of sexual violence thankfully so Hardy and Ellie are sharing this news with the family and basically sharing the fact that they now believe the death to be suspicious because it was by strangulation. Chloe is very distraught by all of this and she goes to see her secret boyfriend. Her older Her secret older boyfriend. secret boyfriend. And yeah. do we recognize? He looked familiar. He looked He fami- should look very familiar. He looked familiar and I couldn't put my finger on it though. Game of Thrones. He's Grey Worm? Grey Worm. Oh! Yeah. Oh, I love Grey Worm. Yeah. Poor guy. I know. But he is older. So it, it seems that Chloe, or Chloe, as he calls her, is 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's 15 and he's 18. So I don't yeah. think they're technically supposed to be seeing each other. Yeah. In a romantic sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, I'm not sure on the age of consent in England, to be honest. I'm not sure either. I would assume it's probably the same, though. So they're talking about it, and they go to bring Danny's stuffed monkey to the beach. It was kind of like a little memorial thing. And Ollie, of course, the intrepid newspaper journalist, <laughs> sees this, and suddenly he knows who the victim is, right? Because he knows all of these families. And so he calls Ellie immediately to confirm that it was Danny who died. And Ellie's pissed. (laughs) But she doesn't confirm it. She very blatantly says, I'm not going to confirm this. This is what she should have done. But he already, at that point, he knew the answer. He saw Danny's sister. I guess he could already tell from his aunt's tone that it was true. And there's not much you can do after that. Yeah. But... He goes on to post Danny's name on Twitter, identify him as the victim. Yeah. And he also says sources suggest. He's the source. Mm -hmm. Exactly. He's the source. And this made me extremely angry. Yeah. So extremely angry. And I immediately disliked him from here because there is journalistic ethics among like the police and journalists then when it comes to a death, that the name should not be released through the media until the family has been notified. been notified and has like been given some time. Because imagine 
they hadn't been able to notify everyone that they needed to. And mm-hmm. the way that family members finding out is on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Is through the news. And that's yeah. disgusting. Yeah, it really and, is. And what makes it even more disgusting is that it, Ollie knows these people. Yeah, exactly. They're close. They're probably even like on friendly terms in the town, right? <laughs> Not anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the family's pissed. <laughs> Very understandably. <laughs> yep. So two things happen. Number one, the fact that it's put on Twitter, the story is picked up by a bigger newspaper company. So the Daily Herald sees it, but also Hardy's scene is really funny. <laughs> Just comes storming in, <laughs> in all the Scottish glory, <laughs> yelling up the storm. <laughs> Very Braveheart. Is Braveheart Scottish? I don't know. Is Braveheart Scottish? A good feel, question. I feel like it is. Okay, we're going to go with that. Yes. <laughs> I'll just cut it out if I'm wrong. I can do that. <laughs> the beauty of editing. <laughs> it's really funny. After that whole tirade, you just see Ellie raising her hand. <laughs> like, it was probably me. <laughs> I felt really bad for her in that moment because all she did was pick up the phone, a phone call from her nephew. It didn't say anything that she shouldn't have said, but it's just when you know someone, they just know even what silence means or like the certain tone that you're using. Yeah. There's nothing she could have done about it in that situation, but obviously it was still not a great look for her. (laughs) You see her afterwards banging her car, and then another detective walks by, and she's like, oh, hi, Nick. (laughs) Perfectly Uh, normal behavior here. Yeah, this is like the little things that I love about her character. But she does return home quickly, I think she says, just for like a shower or something. And she's obviously, she's having a hard time dealing with the investigation. And she tells her husband that, right? She's like, I don't know if I can handle that. And he's trying to be supportive of everything. And then she also goes and talks to her son, Tom. And her son asks if the cops will want to talk to him. And she says, yeah, probably. And he seems worried about it. You can tell he's worried about speaking to investigators. Mm -hmm. And then the scene immediately after (laughs) confirms that there's something going on here. When his mom leaves the room, he takes the phone from under his pillow and deletes all the messages from Danny. Then he goes to his laptop and deletes a whole bunch of files. (laughs) Yeah, um, I would say Mm -hmm. that that's a little suspicious to me. Just a little. Yeah. But we also get introduced to another character, another Mm -hmm. I find to be unlikable character. Yeah. So this tweet from Ollie ends up getting picked up by someone at the Daily Herald. And I later find out her name is Karen. Mm -hmm. So she seems to be some sort of journalist. And she does make some sort of commentary about Alec. So Alec Hardy And she specifically says he got another job after Sandbrook. There's some history there. She knows about this case. She might have covered it. I'm not exactly sure. But what really put me off is that the final scene of episode one is her grabbing the stuffed animal that Chloe went to drop off, which I assume belonged to Danny. Yeah. And she takes it. Yeah. And I just thought that's disgusting. Yeah, and immediately I disliked her from that moment, and I was very suspicious of her, of her intentions. 
Yeah, that was the first red flag for her. But we end on, they're looking, I think it's Hardy who's looking at the CCT footage from the town center. And the night, I guess, that the murder would have happened, we see Danny skateboarding down the street. And we also know now that Danny's phone is missing. They don't know where it is. And the skateboard as well, which is also missing, which is important in another episode. And that's the end of episode one. Episode duh. Because literally, that's what they're called. They're just called episode one, episode two, episode three. They don't have names. It's very British, you know? We don't need to name the episode. Bare minimum. Short, clean, to the point. So I think we start off with Joe and Ellie, who are having a conversation with their son, Tom. And he's clearly had some nightmares overnight. They heard him. And he's expressing concerns about speaking to police. So again, this is just sort of a reinforcement of what we can already see. There's something that he's covering up. He's deleted files. He's deleted messages. He's clearly quite paranoid about eventually having to talk to investigators. There's a scene that we get where... I wrote his name down as Jasper. It's not Jasper. It's Jack, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know where I got Jasper from. But Jack goes to Hardy and to Ellie. Both of them are one of them. I can't remember. And he says that he saw Danny having an argument with a postman. He assumes he's a postman just because of the kind of reflective vest that he was wearing. Yeah. And he said that happened, I guess, a little bit before Danny disappeared. Yeah, about a month before is what he Mm -hmm. says. So that's interesting. He said he only really thought about it after he had spoken to investigators and then it kind of just, it was like a light bulb flashing in his head, right? That's something that they want to look into. And they're also taking elimination prints from the family. And we get introduced to who I think is the best character in all of this. The family liaison officer, Pete, (laughs) fresh out of training. And extremely useless from what I've seen. I, what, does it, I, what is this very specific training that he received that made him so right for this job? Yes. I love that his line to them was when Ellie was talking about he just finished training. He proudly proclaims, you are my first, as in you're the first family of like a murder that I've worked with. That's comforting. Right? I'm sure they really... All of his scenes are gold to me. I love all of them equally. I essentially don't see him do much of anything except asking for tea or offering tea or sitting on a couch, most probably with tea. <laughs> like, there's a lot of tea, but this is a British show. Yeah, so they that do makes sense. like their tea. Exactly. And actually, while they're taking the elimination prints in that same scene, the family gives Ali a list of people who they suspect might have committed the crime. It's kind of really sad because, as Ellie notes, it's all their friends that are on there, right? So neighbors, teachers, just people that they know, they're suddenly kind of suspicious of everyone, right? Everyone's a suspect in the case. There's no way around this considering the size of the town. Everyone knows everyone. Yeah, exactly. I think it's also kind of speaks to where Ellie starts off in this series in terms of, you know, she is a police officer and as an officer, she should kind of be objective about everything. And yet she finds that rather heartbreaking, right? And yet it is her job to be objective about things and to come up with a list of suspects, whether it's people that she knows or not. It almost seems like the family is doing the job, I don't want to say better than she is, but 
more objectively, perhaps, than she is at this point? Yeah, well, because I think the family is thinking in terms of we justice. Yeah, justice. They're very motivated by trying to find out who did this to their son. But Ellie is trying to balance her job and her loyalties towards the family, but Mm -hmm. also her loyalties towards the other members of the community. Yeah, exactly. And she's clearly having a bit of a tough time of it. But while they're in the house too, they find pretty importantly $500 in cash that's on the underside of Danny's bed, which we don't get to the source of that in the first three episodes. And they find cocaine in Chloe's room. So (laughs) I wonder where she got that from. Yeah. So already this quiet little town is maybe not so quiet. (laughs) I think if I were the police, I wouldn't have connected the money that they have found under Danny's bed and the cocaine that they found in Chloe's room. I don't think that those two are connected. I don't know. You you would you would know. I don't know if those two are connected specific. But I wouldn't think that just considering the age gap between Danny and Chloe. Yep. The fact that they're in separate rooms, rooms too. Yeah. Why would Chloe put money in her little brother's room? Where you and can easily find room. it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess they do have to investigate every probability, but they seem to have put like a lot more weight in that they're connected than yeah, I would they, have. They do get into more of the investigation behind the money though later on. It's just not really covered in those first three episodes. But in terms of the cocaine, Chloe does tell Ellie. So Ellie takes her outside. And again, I'm sure a lot of this is very awkward, right? Because they're family friends. Ellie's friends with Beth, Chloe's mother. And she's having a talk with her friend's daughter about potentially dealing drugs. (laughs) As Chloe puts it, she was just holding it for a friend. And this is what I find really funny, right? It's amazing to me that she expects nothing is going to come of this. Just holding it, right? As though that's not an offense. (laughs) And Ellie says, that's possession. Holding, Holding the drugs so yeah. being in possession of the cocaine is like a possession charge. And she's like, I was just holding it for someone else. And then she was going to give it to someone else. Yeah. And that's, then she says, that's, that's yeah, dealing. That's Sorry. Dealing. <laughs> yeah, that's dealing. Chloe puts the blame on Becca Fisher, who's the owner of the hotel in town. And she insists that she knows nothing about the money that's under Danny's bed. So then they go to Becca Fisher. And Becca said that she had a couple that was staying at the hotel who was looking for coke and being a good hotel owner she wanted to give her clients whatever they needed and so (laughs) becca asked chloe who sometimes works at the hotel if she knew where to get coke the problem is that chloe took so long in getting it that the hotel occupants were gone by the time chloe got her hands on it and so chloe i guess just kept the coke becca says she doesn't know where chloe got it from all she would say was that it was from a friend and then becca is also uh when she's talking to investigators it's like she assumes there will be no consequences for what she did she's like nothing's gonna come of this right (laughs) but she's kind of right yeah, it's true. Nothing does come of this. She doesn't get in trouble for any of this, but she was kind of right regarding that instinct. So I'll give her that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is what people call white privilege. Absolutely. If there was ever a more telling example of it. <laughs> 
We do have like another scene with Ollie and Karen. Karen, so she is the journalist from the Daily Herald. I feel like every interaction they have is just extremely off-putting. You can tell that she's trying to manipulate Ollie into, I don't know, letting her inside of the newspaper room to work a bit. And, you know, that Ollie wants to use her as an avenue to get on a bigger newspaper. And it's just a very dangerous combination. Yeah. That they just want to use each other. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was going to make a plumbing joke there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not. I'll save it for later. So Hardy's at the station and he, I think it's in the washroom where it happens, or maybe he goes into the washroom to take some pills, but he's having a bit of like a panic attack, it seems. We'll continue to find out later, but this is connected to the Sandbrook murders. So from what I can tell, it is either a result of what happened with the Sandbrook murders, so some sort of trauma, like PTSD, or it is what contributed to what happened with the Sandbrook murders. So that's part of why the case might have been flubbed up. Because we do find out something went wrong with that case. That family did not get justice. So that is what I suspect. It's interesting what actually plays out in that one. But Hardy and Ellie are following up with the postman, who Jack had said had an argument with Danny. And I mean, the postman seems a little bit suspicious in that scene. They're asking him for an alibi and he says that he was out with a group of friends and kind of got plastered. And they tell him we're going to need to obviously corroborate that alibi and speak with the people that you were with that evening. Ellie, it's interesting in that scene, is kind of reassuring him and saying, you know, nothing to worry about. Just give us the names of your friends. And Hardy tells her afterwards, don't do that. Don't reassure people. Let them talk. If they're nervous, let them keep talking because they're going to spill something. Ellie, of course, doesn't take this particularly well because she feels like he's trying to mold her into something, right? And she clearly doesn't have the same working style that he does. But he's got a point. As an investigator, I would think that that sort of overcompensation of not wanting to have awkward conversations is not a good quality. (laughs) Yeah, I think that she has a lot of learning to do. And a lot of like growth as an officer, as an investigator. I think that you do start seeing bits and pieces of it, like even by the end of episode three. I think she starts seeing the necessity of having to change her perspective and her working style to be able to get justice for Danny. Exactly. This is, <laughs> this is really insensitive the way I put it. But there's a scene with Beth. She really wants to just get out of the house, understandably, right? She feels like she's being cooped up and she just kind of needs to get out of her head. So she goes to the grocery store and I wrote, she has a moment beside the Cocoa Pops. (laughs) Oh, well, she does. She has the beginnings of a mental breakdown. She seems Mm -hmm. to like be able to um, contain herself until she gets to a car and then just yeah you know does an ellie and tries to beat up her car yeah there's a lot of (laughs) there's a lot of destruction of cars in the show and she just starts like kicking it banging it and the reverend of the town paul coates uh, sees this happen and comes over to her and so tries to give her a bit of a reassuring chat and it's in the midst of that conversation that she admits to him that she's pregnant uh and that it's complicated Mm-hmm. She hasn't told anyone yet. She hasn't told Mark. Beth's clearly in a complicated situation. And so is her daughter, Chloe, who's with her boyfriend, Dean, also known as Grey Worm. And she's admitting to him that the cops found the coke. 
but she's very calm about it. She's like, it's fine. And I think this is a good point about the right privilege because he's not white. And Dean is saying like, you know, he's panicking a little bit, understandably, because the cops found cocaine in her bedroom. He's like, this is obviously very bad news. And she's like, nothing's going to come of it. It's not a big deal. It's my mom's friend who's investigating. Like, no worries. (laughs) Yeah. And once again, the way that the investigators are going to see it is that he's the one that provided well, it, he is the one that provided yeah. her with the cocaine, but they have a different set of standards for her because they see her as, you know, young, innocent, innocent, white daughter. <laughs> yes, a, a friend that needs to be handled with kid gloves. Yeah, I will not take the same approach, I believe, with the 18-year-old a black yeah. teenager because he's still a teenager. He's still like 18. He, I mean, mind mm-hmm. you, he's officially an adult but i realistically do not know how much more of an adult you can be just from turning from 17 to 18 yeah mentally probably not that much more mature (laughs) but we see karen again and this is like another gross scene to me because as chloe is on her way back from speaking with the boyfriend karen kind of ambushes her doesn't introduce herself initially she just asks for a smoke and then she starts to talk to chloe chloe has no interest in talking to her and she shows her the stuffed monkey and she says i just want to give it back to you because you know this is probably important to your brother and i would hate to see it get destroyed on the beach or stolen by some random person on the beach and you just you shouldn't leave it there right it should be something if it was an important memory to him or to your family you should keep it right and then she says here's my cell phone number If you or your family ever wants to talk, don't hesitate to reach out. Who the fuck is going to decide to talk to a journalist in their time of emotional despair? She's trying to establish some sort of trusting relationship with probably the weakest link in the family at this point. The very vulnerable 15-year-old who probably can't really talk to her friends about what happened with her brother. Like, what... Mm -hmm other 15-year-old is possibly going to be able to understand it. Exactly. She's trying to open up some sort of line of communication with Chloe with ulterior motives. Mm -hmm. And it's disgusting. It's gross. It's very gross. Yeah, I do not like Karen. Can you tell? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Karen and Ollie. Not my favorite characters in this show. Yeah, they are two peas in a pod. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That is cheesy as fuck but yes i had to i absolutely had to we'll make up for it with some more plumbing jokes (laughs) there's a couple more interactions between hardy and ellie and just some of the things that i find funny come up in the remaining seasons of Broadchurch. but ellie is always hungry always eating stuff and hardy never eats (laughs) and there's a really funny line she gets something from like a fish and chips place Hardy refuses. Like, what is this? And she's like, "You don't eat fish and chips. What kind of Scott are you?" <laughs> I mean, I True. do feel like that is a staple. Yeah, you don't eat tatties. What's fucking wrong with you? <laughs> when you say tatties, all I hear is titties. To be honest, <laughs> it's great. It's so entertaining as a word. <laughs> they have a discussion about the Latimers too, and Hardy suggests. You know, they could be suspects. And to him, the fact that they made up a list of potential killers, he's thinking, well, maybe that's a sign that they're trying to divert our attention, right? Perhaps that makes them even more suspicious. Ellie is the one who's saying, 
no, I just, my instinct is that they're not involved. And she kind of tells Hardy, you know, you're the one who's not fitting in in this town. You're the one with an issue. (laughs) And the next morning, Hardy goes to this trailer park and he sees a woman who he saw previously walking her dog by the hut that's like above on the cliffs. And he wants the keys to that hut because the hut is close to the murder scene overall. And he's kind of got a suspicion. Why do they call it a hut? It just seems like a little cottage. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe that's like a British thing. Yeah, I was kind of like confused why they kept on calling it a hut. And then they were finally in there and it just looks like a little cottage. Yeah, it doesn't. Like to me, a hut, the connotation is something like very, very small and dilapidated. <laughs> yeah, it looked like a very nice hut. hut. <laughs> <laughs> but the woman he talks to, Susan, I mean, immediately suspicious, right? She's suspicious of him. He's suspicious of her. She doesn't want to give up the keys. She wants to see his badge a second time. She wants him to sign out the keys in case anything happens to them and he doesn't return it. And if she's going to get the keys inside her little trailer, Danny skateboard in her closet skateboard that was missing so i mean that's a big question mark of how the fuck she got the skateboard Mm -hmm. and what happened (laughs) so this hut becomes a very important scene in the show right but in reviewing cctv footage hardy figures out that there was a car parked just around near the hut the night before and he sees Mark Latimer, the owner of that car, sitting outside of it waiting for someone, it seems like. So the suspicion around Mark seems that much stronger because I don't think there was any urgent plumbing problem right around the car by the hut. <laughs> Not there specifically. He was taking care of someone else's plumbing. Plumbing issues. And, yeah. Oops. Spoiler. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Not there yet. <laughs> We're not there yet. No, but as they're reviewing the CCT footage where they see Mark, Ellie and Hardy get a very special visitor. We knew him as the man that was installing extra telephone lines at the police station because of the influx of calls regarding Danny. But we will now come to know him as the psychic who says he has received a message regarding Danny's death and it has something to do with water. And at first, I thought he said he was in a bowl. (laughs) And it took a little while for me to figure out he was saying boat. Once again, this is the importance of subtitles when it comes to... Critical. Yes, critical when it comes to some of these British shows. The pronunciation can get a little... A little difficult to understand. Especially when we're switching between different types of accents, even like Mm -hmm. different regions of England or... England and Scotland, which I understand are different countries. <laughs> yes. But he gets interviewed. Mm-hmm. So I believe his name is Steve, this psychic. He gets interviewed for approximately one and a half minutes, I think, yeah. or two minutes. Goes on to get kicked out of the station, but then says something a little odd. And that really kind yeah. of, st- I believe, stops Alec in his tracks. He says, she forgives you about the pendant. And that was like, immediately I knew this has to be something to do with Sandbrook. And it's one of those little things that did draw me in. I'm like, what is this pendant? And I know in an earlier scene, we did see a picture of a young girl in Alex's wallet. Yep. So I'm assuming that that also has something to do with the Sandbrook murder. You would be correct. 
so once again, you can see how I'm just a little bit more invested in the Sandbrook murder. Than the current the, case. Than the current case, yes. I promise you, you will get invested in both. I promise. <laughs> I really... You're getting a little desperate here, Vanessa. <laughs> I know. It's just like the payoff at the end is so good and I wouldn't want you to miss it. But they also take a look at Danny's social media posts and it hates a couple of interesting things. Number one, Danny knows that Chloe has a secret boyfriend. And number two, it seems like Danny and his father don't have the greatest relationship. So Hardy actually brings Mark in for questioning after this. And I just, I love this investigative technique that Hardy employs. So he asks Mark, like, where were you the night of? Remind me again. And Mark says, you know, I was on a call out. It was an emergency plumbing situation, which technically it was. And Hardy, Hardy lets him talk for a little bit. And then he's like, no, <laughs> those were some nice details. No, <laughs> that's not true. And then Mark does some of the best lying I have ever seen. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, but I can tell like by visually seeing you that you're being sarcastic. Mm, but I think we should sarcastic. really emphasize how horrible this attempt at lying is. So he says he got picked up by a mate around the hut area, right? And so Hardy's like, okay, what's the name of the mate? <laughs> I don't know. You don't know the name of the mate that you spent the whole night with. No. What did you guys do? Um, you you know, we drove around for a bit, I think. Uh, we had some food, had a bit of a drink. Where'd you go? What'd you eat? I don't know. It's <laughs> just such a horrible attempt at covering his tracks. Yeah. And it only makes him look more suspicious. Yeah. And in this situation, like, given the severity of what happened and the fact that that's your son that died, just fucking be honest. Exactly. Just fess up. But also, you knew people were going to question you about this night. Yeah. You couldn't come up with something better? Yeah, exactly. Like, beforehand? Exactly. Of course they were going to ask you, like, what did you expect, right? Well, he had the plumbing excuse. He thought that was enough. He wasn't entirely lying, but the nails in his coffin are sealed when they actually do investigate the hut and they find Danny's bloody fingerprint by the door. They say the place has been thoroughly cleaned out, but they miss that one little spot of blood. And then they get another set of fingerprints by the sink and they determine that those belong to Mark Latimer. So Mark's fucked. (laughs) <laughs> and that brings us to episode three. Three. So, uh, Mark's having his last good Sorry, sleep. Sorry, can I ask? Yeah. I want to give these episodes names. Oh, I think they call? deserve names. Okay. I think that once we finish up with this, we should determine what names we should give these episodes. That's great. Okay, so we'll get back to that once we finish up with episode three and we do our final like recap. This is a good idea. I like this. So Mark's having his last good sleep in bed before he's about to be arrested. (laughs) But he's not having a good sleep. He he has a nightmare about Danny. Danny's in his room crying and Mark goes to him and tries to comfort him and he's apologizing to him again. So again, seems to be something off with the relationship between the two of them. We also see, I just want to say this is really not important at all, but Oh, and Ellie's talking to Hardy outside at the beginning of that episode. She's wearing an orange windbreaker, and that becomes a classic through the rest of the series. It's like a really disgusting orange windbreaker, and she wears it all the time, and Hardy hates it. (laughs) Um, That's going to be their thing. It's going to be their thing, that windbreaker. 
But the fact that the psychic had told them about a boat, and while they think the psychic, you know, some sense is just a load of shit, they do recognize that a boat would leave no tracks. They know that he was at the hut. They know that the murder scene was staged. And they're thinking that in transporting the body from where he was killed to where he was found on the beach, a boat would be a good way to do it. A boat would be a good way to kind of leave no trace. But they're also wondering why move the body to where it was moved, assuming that it was to stage that he had fallen. Mm -hmm. But they're still not quite sure about that. Mark, meanwhile, we see messages his friend, who we find out is Nige, and he tells Nige in the message, you know where I was. <laughs> and so I guess Nige automatically like, got a cover up from my buddy. Yep. Yep. Got a cover up for that plumbing issue. <laughs> uh, yep. Even if it gets him in jail. <laughs> no big deal. So Mark's now interviewed again. Now he has the name of this mate that he went out with. <laughs> Right. And Hardy's going because Mark explains this is the person that he works with. And Hardy goes, you forgot the name of the person that you worked with all day. <laughs> and Mark's like, yeah, you know, stress kind of my mind's just not really been there. <laughs> it was just such a horrible attempt at covering up his tracks. Yeah. It's like so astoundingly stupid. It was quite painful. I have a question for you here, though, because this is part of it that I can't remember what happens later in the season. But Mark is insistent when they ask him about the rental hut. He doesn't say that he was there the night before or anything like that. But he does say he was there maybe one, two, at the most three weeks ago for an emergency, (laughs) lots of emergency plumbing problems, Mm -hmm. a burst pipe, which I'm sure it was a burst pipe in some ways, but... Later on, we see that he's still insistent about that fact that he was there. And maybe I should have asked you this a couple of scenes later when we get to it, because I can't remember if he's being truthful about that or not in the timeline, because they ask Susan, who's the one who has the keys to the hut and is the one who Mark claims would have given her the keys to access it. And she says, no, nobody was there at that time there was no emergency plumbing problem at the hut. Mark is still insisting that he was there at that point for an emergency problem. And I can't really tell who's lying in that situation. I distrust this trailer lady more than I distrust Mark. I just feel Mark is just so bad at this. First of all, this whole lying thing to begin with. I mean, he could be lying about the fact that it was an emergency plumbing issue, Mm -hmm. but the fact that the process of even getting into the hut is exactly what Hardy had to go through. And he mentions, oh, she has that like yappy dog. And why does she have that skateboard in her closet? Yeah, exactly. Like, I feel at this moment, she has more of a reason to lie. Than he does. Yeah, than he does. I'm more suspicious of her than I'm of Mark. I think Mark's just an idiot. Yeah. Um, She seems to be trying to cover up something notorious. We do find out Mark is just trying to cover up an affair, which when it comes to your son getting murdered, like you were saying before, just confess to the affair. (laughs) That is so much more important. Like finding the killer is so much more important than, you know, the consequences of, let's say, your wife finding out that you cheated on her, members of the town finding out like... There's a killer out there, for God's sakes. (laughs) Yeah, and 
he gets arrested. Mm-hmm. I mean, mind you, he's not charged, but he gets arrested. Yeah. Because all this is extremely suspicious. Yeah. And they and- can't eliminate him, right? Like, mm-hmm. if he had just told the truth, they could have taken him off their list. But no. And then they ask him, because they're onto this boat theory too now, right? So they ask him if he owns a boat. And he says yes. And then they go to investigate that boat. And there's blood on it. <laughs> Which I just think, to be honest, was a red herring. Yeah. Because once again, Mark is so bad at lying and doesn't create alibis beforehand. He doesn't know how to cover his tracks well. Immediately, he has an explanation for this. And he's even like, Chloe was there and saw what happened. Yeah. I think that his response was so prompt and so specific and easily can be proven wrong. Yeah, they just have to talk to Chloe, right? But yeah, so it's at that point that he's arrested. And they did try to check on his alibi with Nige. And Nige is similarly a pretty bad liar. And so he's telling telling Hardy about where they went to eat. And then Ellie comes barreling in and she's like, Nige, quit the shit. I just talked to your mom and she told me that you were with her all night. And when you weren't there, I forget where she says he did go for a brief period of time, but he would have had an alibi for that as well. And it wasn't with Mark, right? So both terrible liars. So Mark is arrested and reporters also speak to Nige later on. It's an interesting thing because he's covering something in his truck. Oh, I didn't notice that. He's got some, and I couldn't really tell what equipment it was, but he had something in there that he covered up immediately when Ollie and Karen came by to talk to him. And he seems sort of jittery in that conversation. And then afterwards he gets in the truck and he takes off. Something suspicious going on there. Yeah, I actually didn't notice that. So that's interesting. We also have mom whose name is... Beth. Beth, there we go. We have Beth who just wants to get out of the house. And uh, so she once again leaves. She doesn't seem to really like being cooped up, but she also doesn't know where to go just because everyone in town knows what's happened to Danny at this point. And she wants to escape, but can't exactly escape with just all eyes being on her. But you notice as she's making her way around town that she's being followed by someone or psychic friend. And eventually they end up sitting side by side on a bench and he finally turns to her and he says that he has a message from Danny. And she's initially very scared and put off and angry, but it seems after finding out that Mark has been arrested and being almost suspicious of Mark as well, she's trying to look for some sort of answers, I guess some sort of clarity. Mm-hmm. And she receives a note from our psychic friend that slipped under her door. Yeah. I paused it to try to read it backwards. Yep. I don't know if you ran into the same issue that I did. What I could make out was, I didn't mean to scare you. Mm-hmm. That was easy enough. I am UOT, a friend, please call Steve. Okay, I didn't make out that second sentence. But I don't know what that means. And I tried figuring it out. I was writing it down letter for letter. And I don't know, maybe it was just the penmanship that I couldn't make it out properly. I had a tough time reading his writing too. But she does end up calling him. Yeah. And they do have a conversation. And it looks like after that conversation... She's even more concerned that Mark is actually possibly the killer because what he tells her is that he says he's got a message from Danny and Danny said not to continue to look into who the killer is, to just let it be because 
it won't help. And she knows who the killer is quite well. Not that she knows who the identity is, but the person who is the killer, she's quite close to them. And so I think in her mind, I mean, Mark's already been arrested at this point. She's gone through a lot. And I think that just kind of signals to her even more, oh God, like this could be Mark. She does end up asking Mark around the end of the episode whether he had killed, done something to Danny. And he's understandably offended and walks out of the family home yeah this is after he's released yeah Yeah, because what happens is chloe chloe clearly knows about the affair that mark's been having with somebody the plumbing issues that have been recurring and she messages that unknown person at the time and says if you know where my dad was on thursday please tell the police you don't need to tell anybody else but do tell them right and so we find out it's becca fisher the owner of the hotel and she goes to hardy and ellie and she says I was having sex with Mark that night. I picked him up at the area around the huts. And I think she says maybe around 10 o'clock or so. And then she dropped him back off at that same area at around one. And she says it was a mistake, but like he was with me, right? And so that's how they're able to let Mark go. And Mark, after his wife asks him if he had anything to do with Danny's murder, he goes to see Becca and... Mark clearly is in a bad spot in his marriage and would like to continue things with Becca. And Becca seems to be quite over it. And she said, it's a mistake. I don't want anything more to happen. And they kiss at that point. But what we realize after is that Beth followed him out of the house and is seeing all of this take place. So now she knows. Yeah. And I think Mark makes it clear that I think this was a one-time thing, that that was the one and only time that... He was unfaithful. Yeah. I was going to say that he worked on Becca's plumbing. Uh, I missed an opportunity. What's going on? I know, very disappointing. But I don't know. After that kiss, it made me feel like, oh, this might be something that might continue. I don't know because they kissed twice and then they kissed again. And that is when Beth saw them. And I'm like, Mark, you're just such a fucking idiot. Yeah. And like, just what a terrible time for Beth, yeah. if you think about it, right? Like, she's lost her son. She found out that her husband's cheating on her officially. And she's pregnant yeah. with this child. Like, what a fucking nightmare. No wonder she's, you know, drinking a glass of wine when the reverend... I, I kept on calling yeah. him a priest in my notes, but... I, for- I totally missed that, that she's drinking yeah. wine in that scene. Or I think she's drinking wine because the reverend kind of says something about it, gives her a look. So I could be wrong, but I think she was drinking wine or had wine around and the reverend was kind of confused because he knew that she was pregnant. This poor woman's been through a lot and she's the person that I'm just least suspicious of, to be honest. And I don't know whether I should trust that, but yeah, she's the one that I'm very much least suspicious of. So there's just a couple of other points that I want to make about this episode because they are, if you continue to watch, they are important. Hardy meets up with somebody who he calls a friendly face, who we find out is a doctor, right? And the doctor basically has some test results for Hardy and says, you have to stop doing what you're doing or this stress will kill you. So we don't know specifically what the condition is, but clearly it's probably something that's been going on possibly started from Sandbrook or maybe before that too. And Hardy admits that he hates everything about being in this town and working as the DI there. He hates, as he says, the sky, the stupid smiling faces, 
everything about it, the way the people work. He says he's there because it's penance, which is an interesting comment to make. So clearly he feels some sort of guilt and he feels that he needs to pay for something that's happened previously and that we assume is connected to Sandbrook, right? Yeah. And I'm assuming it's some sort of heart condition. Yeah. Like that's my guess. Um, Based on, yeah, stress, right? And like increased stress would kill him. And just some of the reactions that he seems to have to stressful situations. Yeah. But I don't know. I could be wrong. That that would be an educated guess for sure. Mm -hmm. We also see him run into Karen again. And this is where we get like official confirmation. She reported on Sandbrook. And that's why she says she's in Broadchurch right now. Because she saw what happened with the family in the Sandbrook murder. And she's afraid that that's going to happen again with the Latimers. And that Hardy's going to fuck it up, right? And Hardy wants nothing to do with her. He's clearly very pissed off at her. And I think he does say at a certain point, something about like, you were the one who ratted me out to the media or something. So there's clearly a contentious history there, we'll say. Yeah, I don't trust her. I think that she is even trying to convince herself that's the reason why she's there. Yeah. But I think she's ultimately there for her own gain. I think she's bored doing what she's doing at the newspaper, which is just what she was saying, like cleaning up and proofing articles or something. And she wanted like a way out, something more exciting. And this was the way to do it. Exactly. I think so too. But we end this episode on a pretty interesting note. It's a boat on fire. In the water. So we assume it's the boat. The boat. So the psychic was right about at least one thing, and then probably possibly two based on Hardy's reaction to the pendant comment. But yeah, those are the first three episodes. So two things. I think number one, at the end of three episodes, who do you see? I'll even say your top three suspects. Um, I'm really curious. I would say top three would be Jack. So Is this a, in order? Uh, not necessarily. Okay. I do think it was like my top one in the at least in the first episode. Um, next up, I would say the Reverend. Interesting. Yep, because he's kind of there in the mix, but he just seems too innocent of everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like something's going to come up around him. That's a fair point. And then I think those are probably the top ones right now. I think the trailer lady is too suspicious. I Mm -hmm. what I'm wondering about is who is the owner of that hut? And I think if I knew that, then it might give me a little bit more direction. Okay. That's fair. So I think whoever owns that hut has something to do with it all. I would say those are the two that I think I'm thinking of right now. Okay. I really, I really, really, really want you to watch the rest of the series because I would love to compare. And like, this is very early on still in the series. I know it's only eight episodes, Mm -hmm. but a lot of stuff happens in the remaining five. And I think it would be interesting to see how your suspicions right now compare to what you get later on. Okay. Uh, I think it's... I don't know. Maybe I'll watch it like a bit later tonight, depending on like the mood that I'm in. I'm kind of not in the mood to like kind of switch gears a little bit. So I'll give it a shot. I think Um, you might at least at least at least another episode. Yeah. And I guess my second question then is how would you rate it so far after three? 
I'm afraid. <laughs> I think only like a seven right now, like not completely wouldn't watch it. Absolutely not nowhere near the level that uh, Too Hot to Handle was. Right. Okay, that's good. Well, yeah, no, this is not garbage. Yeah, but uh, probably a seven right now. Okay. I just really feel like I should be more hooked than I mm-hmm. currently am. Like I said, this is a situation where if I were watching it on my own and I was three episodes in, you'd stop. That I'd stop and just go to the last episode, find out what happens, and then just yeah. like move on with my life. I really would not in this show here. And you know, it's a fair point because I think in one sense, usually that is the um, the general rule, right? After three episodes, you kind of mm-hmm. get a sense of whether or not you like a show and whether you're going to continue with it. And I can see that this one is a little bit of a slow build considering it's only eight episodes. Definitely a slow build when you're at three and you're like not too invested, but I don't know. It's just the ending to me is what really like hooked me. And like, for me, I would rate this show as like a nine. That's mostly based on my memory of what I felt when I first watched it. Do you think you felt that way just by the end of it? Or were you a little bit more invested at the point that we stopped at right now than I am. Watching it for the second time, I'm not super invested at the end of three episodes. I would agree. I haven't like hit that sinker point where I'm like, oh, I'm baited in. So that's our score. I guess like a seven and a nine. Who knows? Like, I guess we can talk about it next week's episode. Yeah. If uh, if I end up continue watching it, if if it's changed. But that's where we are right now. Mm -hmm. What are these episode names that we're going to give? Yeah. I do have one for episode one. I do too. Okay, you go first. Okay. To quote Nige. So... What was that upshot last night then? That's a good one. I like that. I like that. Mine is going to be bollocks. The pipes are clogged. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So what about episode two? What's the defining feature of episode two? I'm trying to think. I think maybe I just like taking quotes that people have said and putting it in the title. I like mm. to go with, it's complicated. It's complicated. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Um, Cause I know that there's just like a lot around where Mark was the CCTV. Like that's mm-hmm. where the, all that stuff starts and it does get, end up getting very complicated. My episode two name would be bollocks. The pipes need draining. Are they all going to be? <laughs> There's a theme here. There's a theme. There's a plumbing theme. If you know a plumbing service wants to, you know, sponsor, um, not sponsor an episode, advertise, Adver- sponsor an episode. We don't know the right terminology for this. Obviously, we're not making any money yeah. here. But uh, yeah, when we start to make money, <laughs> we will learn the appropriate terminology. You know, we've just gone into debt doing these. Not debt. We're not in debt. Well, I'm in student debt. That's different. (laughs) Different kind of debt. It's a different kind of debt. Not because of the podcast. It's just, this podcast just cost us money. Yeah, we have yet to make any money. Might have Mm -hmm. to do with the fact that we haven't aired anything yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. (laughs) So episode three. Mm, I have a message from Danny. My episode three title would be 
gotta I'm stick ch- with that plumbing theme. <laughs> you gotta stick with that plumbing theme. My episode three would be I'm chuffed to bits. The pipes are cleared. Because <laughs> the information about Mark finally comes out. Okay, so now that we have that situation cleared up, and I feel so much better that these episodes finally have names, because they deserve names. They did. Yeah. It is that time (laughs) of the show where you get to find out what I'm going to watch next week. And just so you know, next week is going to be our second to last episode, so it is the last time I'm choosing. Thank God. Oh. Don't worry, there's another season where I just continue on with this list. I'm chuffed to bits that next week is the last time. Keep in mind that this is the last time you're choosing, but what you choose is going to influence what I choose. Because I've got some some thoughts up my sleeve, right? I can make this very easy on you or very difficult. (laughs) Now, I know you've already probably made up your mind, but I just want you to know that if you make it difficult... I will make it difficult. Okay. I will keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. As you should always keep that in mind with me. But, you know, where's the fun in this if there aren't a couple of curveballs, right? Mm-hmm. Do you remember in the last time I chose, you had an option between two. And I told you the one that you didn't choose would probably be the next one. So you uh-huh. ended up choosing Selena's number. Yep. So we watched that and we liked that. Mm-hmm. Yep. But... Vanessa, next week. Oh, God. And next week, you will be watching Attack on Titan. I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> um, I'm continuing our theme of just kind of expanding. Um, I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. I, I will give you this. At least the first part of the very last season has come out. It is absolutely some of the best storytelling that I've seen in any sort of media. There are things that will not pay off from the first season, will not pay off until the very last season. What happens to the character and the character development is in some situations very surprising, Mm -hmm. but it always does keep you very hooked. So I'm very interested to see how you react to this one. Because this one is one that I'm not 100% sure whether you're like or not. But Mm -hmm. objectively speaking, storytelling-wise, it's quite good. And it is one that I tried to stay away from for a very long time because it was just so hyped up. Okay. Okay. I'm curious to see. I'm not angry like I was (laughs) with the Vampire Diaries. (laughs) I'm not totally stoked. I'm... In between. I'm lukewarm right now. Yeah, and that's how it's going to be. It's fine. That's how it's going to be sometimes. That's fine. Just be happy that I didn't choose one of the other ones on because there was another anime on this list. Two other ones that are definitely a little bit more out there. Okay. But we'll we'll save that for another time. But I just Mm -hmm. thought, you know, if I started off with an anime, might as well just... End with one, too. Yeah, that's true. That really bookends mm-hmm. it quite well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I will base my decision for the last episode of this season on how I enjoy this choice of oh, yours. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Vengeful. So we'll see. We'll see. 
that brings us to the end of this week's episode and we will see you guys next week next week hopefully we'll be in good moods but you know can't guarantee anything (laughs) vanessa just looks so lukewarm right now (laughs) very Very, (laughs) yeah very lukewarm (laughs) um yeah (laughs) bye guys Bye. bye